Amen. Whew. We are in his presence today, amen? There's just a sweet spirit in the room, and you can just sense the Lord working. I hope, uh, hope you sense and feel that yourself. And, uh, you know, as we're singing that song about generations, and, and I believe every generation has moments, each of us have moments, where God says it is time. It is time. I want to do something. I want to change something. I want to lead something new. And uh, we spend a lot of time around here trying to discern what is the Lord up to. We spend a lot of time praying and asking others to pray and, and fast. And I'll, I'll just tell you, this is not the message today that I had planned for today. God switched the whole thing on Wednesday. And it's this idea, it is time. Can you say that with me? It is time. And as we get into this, I have just this sense from the Lord that he has something that will be for us through his word that will be on time, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're married. And more importantly, today, I think you're going to get a holy sense of who he wants to be in his relationship with you. And so I'm really excited about this. I'm also excited because we got to fall back an hour and uh, you were on time today, I'm guessing. Because you got a little extra sleep, you're feeling a little fresh, right? And uh, it is an on-time kind of day. Uh, you know, as you think about time and timing in this series, I want to remind you, it's PG-13. This is because we believe that parents, we want you to know that the text itself, Song of Solomon, uh, will reveal things and share things in a way that will create questions for any parents uh, from their kids, and we want you to be ready to engage with them, because if you're not, the world is. And we need them to understand biblical truth about the things we're talking about. So the parental guidance is just not to eliminate who's hearing it, but to actually prepare you uh, to have those conversations. Amen? So as we uh, get into his word here in a second, I, I want to start by just talking, you know, again about this timing issue. Uh, here's a picture of Cindy and I, my wife, 21 years in December. Here we go. And uh, she will be on, uh, she will join me next week again and uh, excited for that. Uh, and so this next picture, a little too fast there. Go back, please. Uh, you have this picture of us at the, the, on our wedding night. And uh, the interesting thing about that is you have all your dreams, all your hopes, and all of this stuff that you're, you're just excited about, right? But everything from that moment forward is called, that happens is, is life. Like life happens to all of us, right? And uh, so that leads 21 years to last weekend. This is our picture together at our homecoming weekend. Wasn't homecoming great last weekend? Uh, so good to honor the history, to, to see God's goodness in every season, to heal, hear stories of people uh, laying things down and receiving healing and even receiving inspiration for the future. If God could do that in 80 years, what could he do in the next 80? It was awesome. And, and so when you book in those pictures, though, from the marriage night to just last weekend, there's a lot of things that have happened. And I will tell you that through all the ups and downs, our breakthroughs, our greatest blessings have been in the moments where God said it is time and we said yes and amen. In our marriage, there have been so many moments where God showed up on time and when he did, we had a decision to make. Would we respond how would we handle what he was showing us? Would we be obedient to that? 
And when we do, God blesses. God moves in powerful ways through his people's obedience. As we turn now to Song of Solomon chapter 5, I want to read to you a quote about the book of Song of Solomon from Dennis Kinlaw. It's a commentator, a pastor that says this, One of the reasons that the church has been self-conscious about the Song of Songs lies in a failure to understand with clarity the biblical teaching on sex and marriage. Throughout too much of its history, the the, uh, church has adopted a pagan, non-biblical view of sex and has left its influence, its attitudes toward male-female relationships and the marriage institution generally. This has resulted in a very superficial and inadequate understanding of the mystery of human sex. Y'all ready for the text? Come on. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey, and I drank my wine with my milk. The others is most likely what is happening here. Friends in the midst say, eat friends, drink and be drunk with love. Verse 2, I slept, she says, but my heart was awake, a sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of night. It's setting the stage for real life. It's setting the stage for a conflict. It's setting the stage that there's something about to happen because he's showing up, he's knocking on her door, and he's beginning to say, hey, are you awake? Will you let me in? Now, as we look at this, and if you're taking notes, it is time first to acknowledge our apathy and let God awaken us. When we look at this story in this text, what you see is actually she is apathetic. She's focused on herself in this moment. And as she does that, it creates a conflict in the relationship. Now you can see there's a a double meaning here, I hope. That often you and I are in a situation where God is knocking and he's saying, it is time. I want to do something in your life. I want to bring something new. And yet we may, in fact, be apathetic as well. God is a God who shows up and often will knock, and the question becomes, are we listening? Now, I want to look at this in in those two ways. I want to begin by looking at the relational side of what God may want to do to awaken apathy in your relationship if you're married or if you're not, that you would look to the future and understand how and what God wants to awaken and when he wants to awaken it, because as we've learned in this text, We don't want to awaken it ahead of time, because then we're playing with fire. Anybody? (laughs) Okay, some of you played with fire, and you just felt convicted. (laughs) So the first thing is awakened with our spouse. We actually want to look at, is there an apathy that is entered into the relationship? This is what's happening with her. She's apathetic. She doesn't move. She doesn't answer the knock on the door and doesn't move in the timing that is present in the relationship. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7, we actually see Paul uh, delivering to the church something about marriage relationships, singleness, and also about sex within the confines of marriage that is an important reminder if we're talking about being awakened to the needs and even the wants within a marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5 says this, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, 
It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. Say deprive. (laughs) You actually said it. (laughs) Do not deprive one another, right? Except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. Sounds like a 1999 special on TV. For a limited time that may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again that so Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. As we look at this, uh, there were moments early on in our marriage where I used that incorrectly. Where I, you know, I, I would approach uh, and, and initiate in the relationship with my wife uh, what is only you know, celebrated in the confines of marriage. And she might reject me and say no. And I would immediately say, oh, well, you must be praying and fasting. Because... This is what 1 Corinthians 7 says. Now, that didn't go well then. It won't go well today for you, uh, whether it's husband or wife. Do not do that, okay? Uh, Because that's not the spirit of the text. The spirit of the text is understanding that there there are needs within a, a relationship and figuring out how, in fact, to meet those. Now, Tim Keller, who I've quoted a number of times in this series, has an incredible book, The Meaning of Marriage. In that book, he says this, but sex and marriage done to give joy, to give joy, let me say that again, to give joy, rather than to impress, can change your mood on the spot. You see, when we move it from what it's doing for us to how it's serving our spouse, the act of giving, it changes our mood, it changes the why, and it can lead to joy and to breakthrough. And if you think you're uncomfortable, try being up here right now, okay? I'm just going to acknowledge that right now. It's in God's word, okay? So, We have this booklet, a love booklet, designed that is to walk you through exercises uh, that can help you uh, discuss these kind of things. So this week's exercise is actually on wants and needs, Uh, actually uh, looking at the top five love and sex needs of both a husband and a wife. This is, again, the spirit behind the text, I believe, is to understand how to celebrate and love and meet each other's needs. I would encourage you, if you're married, uh, to, to go through that this week in the right spirit and to discuss it. And I would also say, you know, that if you're not, that you still should look at it so you have a better understanding and, and that you don't awaken things in the wrong timing. Amen? The second aspect of this text that I want to make sure we understand is the awakening to apathy in our relationship with Jesus. So I want to shift gears to this idea of awakened with Jesus. Because I believe that as we look in the book of Revelation, we see a moment where Jesus shows up. And as he's showing up, he's identifying that there are people that are lukewarm, that are apathetic, that aren't on fire in their faith. And and he says something very clearly through the prophet uh, John in this revelation. He also 
talks about knocking on the door. And I believe that for all of us, part of the awakening isn't just to the needs of the other, but it's awareness of what Jesus wants to do and who he wants to be in our life. So to awaken with him, let me read to you Revelation 3, verse 15 through 20. It says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Say repent. That is not a word we hear enough in modern Christianity, especially in America. We don't. And repentance is the starting point of the gospel good news, that when I've heard the good news, I repent and turn away from my ways, turn away from my lukewarmness, turn away from my flesh, turn away from doing it my way to do it his way. It's turning and asking for forgiveness. So it says, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is a powerful passage that I believe in many ways. Some of you have been hearing the knock of the Lord or you're hearing it today and he's beginning to knock on your heart and the question becomes, will you awaken? Will you awaken and allow him to maybe enter in for the first time as your Savior and Lord? Or maybe it's actually you saying, yes, I will obey you. It is time. I will follow you. I will repent. I will let go of whatever in the way. But let me continue on because there's more we need to look at with this. The text itself in chapter 5 of Song of Songs Again, has so much meaning for us today. Verse 3, it says, I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? As we look at this, she's beginning to describe why it's not time in her mind. If you're taking notes, it is time to recognize and resolve our conflicts with God and each other. You see, what she's beginning to do is making it about her. She's laying in bed. She hears the knock, but she says, yeah, I, I, I got my, my evening wear on. I don't want to get up. I'm comfortable. Everything in that moment is about her. And I'm not picking on her. The text is picking on her because they both make mistakes in the relationship. But this is a moment where for us, we can have the same temptation to say, yeah, it's not the right time. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to deal with that right now. I'm pretty comfortable. Things are good. And, and as the knock is there, I believe that it's meant to get louder and louder. But if we don't listen, it dims it, and ultimately begins to go away. And so when you think about this, that you and I have a knock on our hearts and conflicts in our life, some of those may be in our relationship with God, some of those may be in our relationship with a significant other, a spouse, someone we're dating, maybe in our extended family, and maybe in our church family. And I want to tell you that it is time that we awaken and we allow God to begin to heal and restore and to resolve 
conflicts where we answer the knock. You know, we have a, a week in front of us that could be very divisive in our country. If you didn't know, there's an election happening. <laughs> wow, this guy's crazy. He'll talk about religion, about Jesus, about politics and sex all in the same message. <laughs> Pray for your pastor. <laughs> I just see that there's a lot of potential conflict. And I want to tell you, yes, please, listen to the Lord. Go vote. Vote for his kingdom values. Vote for what Jesus is about in those kingdom values. But then as you do that, also realize that there's a bigger enemy than the people that you see on the news channels or social media feeds. And that bigger enemy is the one that we need to, to see and then also be willing to resolve conflicts with people, often that have happened over petty, can I, well, I guess I can, I've used every other word today, uh, stupid stuff, right? So let's, let's be a people that, that awakens to the knock and is willing to resolve conflicts. Sometimes it's about perspective, and we need our perspective shifted off of ourself in order to see what somebody else sees. Saw a great short 90-second video clip online this week that illustrates this beautifully in the context of a marriage relationship. Uh, let me share it with you now. I genuinely hate when my husband leaves the blinds open. I walk into the kitchen every day and the blinds are open like they're down, but they're twisted where the sun is shining in. I can't see. It is reflecting off of our counter and it's in my eyes every single day. It's like one of those unspoken things that you both know that you think you know the other person hates and you still do it. And I walk in and I close the blinds because I can't see. And he comes in and he opens them. And we've never talked about it. And it infuriates me. It makes me feel like he doesn't care. He doesn't, uh, just doesn't understand that like I can't see in the kitchen because it is reflecting into my eyes. And finally, the other day I said to him, Alex, why, why do you always do this? I can't see. And he said, you can't see? What are you talking about? I'm 5'5", five five. he's 6'2". He said, what can't you see? I said, Alex, I literally can't see. I pull him down where I'm at and he goes, oh my gosh. He's like, is this what it looks like down here from you? Is this what it looks like? And I'm like, yeah, what are you seeing? He picked me up, nothing, just sunshine. He can't, it's not reflecting in his eyes. For me, I am blinded. For him, it's just beautiful, it's just sun. I'm sitting here assuming that my husband is a careless jerk because he knows that I can't see when these blinds are open. And he's sitting here going, why doesn't my wife just want the sunshine coming in the house? Why does she always want it to be dark in here? I don't know if that is not an example of perception and the way that we need to understand what other people are seeing. We are seeing very different things. We're making assumptions about what the other person is seeing. What are you assuming about your spouse that you should not be assuming? What are you not seeing from their perspective? Think about that. Like that is, that for me was one of those times where I went, boom, wow. I am, I'm not, I'm not trying to get on my husband's level and you know, and I'm assuming that he's seeing what I'm seeing from down here. So double tap follow and uh, let me know if this uh, resonates. Isn't that good? Like sometimes it's seeing something from the other person's perspective. Maybe even, you know, underneath of that understanding what's God's perspective of this situation. Uh, marriage experts Brian and Jennifer Harvey in their book uh, Thriving Marriage say this, 
They say, while you may think that the differences between you cause problems in your relationship, it is not truly the differences between you. It is instead the way you interact together regarding those differences. That is really, really good. To realize that sometimes it's not the how or the what, it's, or I'm sorry, it's not the why, it's the what, it's the how, it's, it's the interaction. And God can do something with that. In fact, it was actually the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 that lays out beautifully, right before a chapter on marriage, he actually talks about, in chapter 4, this issue of anger and unforgiveness and, and how do we forgive and, and treat one another. Here's actually a picture of that in Ephesians 4, verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Does our country, our church, and our community not need that right now? That was not loud enough. I'm knocking. I believe he's knocking. We need to speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another, he says. Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There is something that happens when we allow the sun not to go down on a conflict because you may not resolve every conflict in a 24-hour period. It's talking about what you do with your anger. What you do and whether or not you sin in that anger. That's, that's you in being willing to actually look at how does God want to awaken me to resolve conflicts and deal with my own anger. And I'm going to tell you all, God's been on me for about 15 years on this issue. Your pastor is an angry dude. You're like, what? Seriously, God had to begin to show me that I had some significant anger issues that had been rooted in childhood wounds, had been uh, rooted in betrayal and rejection and things I had been through, you're not getting the same guy I was as a pastor 15 years ago because of his grace, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in me, because there have been so many moments where God says it is time. And I was willing to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I, I need to work on that. One of those was sitting with a marriage counselor in 2009 with Cindy and I. And uh, this is not in my notes, so <laughs> enjoy. Uh, and so we're sitting in this, this moment with this marriage counselor. And, and you can tell he's, he's kind of walking on eggshells because of the tension in the room and because of me. And, and he knew I was a pastor. In fact, his ministry supported our ministry and vice versa. And, and so he, he looks kind of sheepishly and, and he, he looks at me and he says, hey, I, I want to recommend a resource for you. And, and, and I want you to know, and I think it'll help your ministry. I think it'll help your church. I and, and he tried to like soften the blow. But he said, it's a, it's a resource on anger. It's a workbook, in fact. And I wonder if you'd be willing to, to go through it, to help your ministry, all the while knowing that I really needed that. I'm sharing that to say, like, there are moments where God shows up and we don't like the message. We don't, we don't like what it's saying, but, but we have a response. I'm not standing here today if I didn't say yes to what God showed me through that counselor that, in that moment. It is time. 
It is time to let him work and move and resolve whatever conflicts you have. Now, let's get back to the text and see what happens next because uh, she doesn't respond in the moment. Verse 4. It says, My beloved put his hand to the latch, so he's trying to open the door now, and my heart was thrilled within me. I rose to my beloved, so now she's had a change of heart, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. So she touched the handle, and he had left a message for her behind. He had left behind this perfume, this anointing, this goodness that was there, and she's describing that. It says, verse 6, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Look at what happens here. She doesn't respond when it is time. She responds later. And oftentimes, delayed obedience is actually not obedience at all. Parents, you know this, and it's true in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And and when we miss and don't take action, that there's actually consequences to that. There's things that happen in our life that we don't want and we wouldn't ask for and we wouldn't wish on anybody, and that's what happens to her. It, It says, in fact, because she was outside of the right timing, it says, the watchmen found me. They went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am sick with love. I am sick with love. And they ask the question, verse 8, then, I adjure you, or I adjure you O daughters. That, that's, that was right. I'm sorry. I misquoted there. So I'm sick with love. If you're taking notes, it is time to heal from the hurts that our inaction has caused. You see, her inaction... Her unwillingness to answer the knock on the door, her unwillingness actually causes hurt. And I want to be clear, because this has come up in this series, what about those that have been abused? What about those that have experienced physical, emotional, or sexual abuse? What about those that are in an unhealthy relationship? That's a completely different set of circumstances. You see, God teaches us to forgive, but we also have to set boundaries, And we also have to protect if somebody else isn't willing to protect us. And so I want to be clear, there's a God available to help you forgive anyone that's hurt you and to heal any hurt that you have. I stand before you again as somebody that had to acknowledge about 10 years ago that in my childhood, not from my family of origin, but from others, that I actually experienced emotional abuse and sexual abuse. And the room got even more quiet. But because I've been through those things and I've experienced forgiveness, I've experienced healing, I've experienced restoration, I stand here and tell you today it's available. God is able. But, but staying in it is inaction. Staying in a place that says, I can't move forward with God, saying in a place that actually doesn't respond to him when he's offering healing, when he's offering renewal and forgiveness and all of those things actually can lead to more hurt in your life and the life of others. And I'm telling you, church, it is time. It is time for us to allow God to renew us, 
to heal us from every hurt and to begin to take action, whether that's your individual story and bringing everything to Jesus to allow him to heal it, whether it's through the Holy Spirit, through a counselor, through a small group, through a church service. We got to bring everything out into the light in this season. He loves us that much. He cares about us that much. And he has that much more for your life and for the life of our church. Can I get an amen? Amen. It is time to let him begin and deepen that healing word. Now, when God's word speaks, let me show you another aspect of this because it's, again, available. He's alive, he's active, he's speaking. Hebrews 4, 11 through 16. I'm gonna just read it straight through. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, say since then, Oh, since then, we're not left in it. Since then, look at what he's done. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that good news? But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. That is such good news. His word is alive and active. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. And when we get into his word, he begins to show us and reveal us things, not just on a Sunday, but when you turn to his word during the week. And it's in that space that, that he knocks on our hearts and he says, hey, here's something I want to remove from your life. Here's something more I want to put in your life. Here's what I have for you next. And what we see next in Song of Songs 5 is that because of her interaction, she then begins to, to have a renewed vision of her spouse. And as we look at this, I believe God wants to renew our vision of our relationship with him and if you're married with your spouse. So let me read to you what she says and how this unfolds. Verse 9, she begins to build him up. She begins to encourage him. And let me be clear, this first verse, verse 9, indicates she's saying it to the friends that are present. He's not even there to hear this. This is her renewing her mind about him. And I submit to you, there are some of us that it's not just what you say to the other person, it's the lies being replaced by truth in your own mind about God and about others, maybe about your spouse as well. So listen to what happens. She says in verse 9, What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? They're saying, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about this guy? She says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. 
His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as raven. His eyes are like dove beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. She uses some figurative language to say he is good looking. I like his hair and his eyes are inviting. His soul is at rest. He brings me peace just with one look. Verse 13, his cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. This means that his beard smelled really good. (laughs) His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars of She's referencing the cedars of Lebanon. She's like, my guy is strong and sturdy. Right? He's stable. She's speaking to to what she sees as his strength and stability and who he is. Verse 16, his mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. It is a powerful picture of what it looks like to have a renewed vision of another. And I'm submitting to you that everything she says there that could be said about Jesus as well. That in fact, if you're taking notes, it is time, it is time for us to publicly proclaim a renewed vision of God and one another. That we would allow God to renew our minds, our vision of who he is, And that we would boldly, publicly proclaim that as she is to her friends, that we would to our friends, that we would to a world that needs to know how great, how mighty, how strong, how sturdy, how great is the aroma of Christ. Come on, church. He wants us to enter in. It is time to allow him to do something at a deeper level in our lives to allow him to, to be who he wants to be. And if, if you're married, there's a principle here as well. And I'm going to just say, husbands, you need to be that guy. And wives, you need to lift up that guy. You see, as she lifts him up to her friends, doesn't tear him down. As she lifts him up, he can't even hear it, but it renews her mind and re- reminds her why she celebrates him. And notice that in this text, he had left behind a blessing, the aroma, the myrrh on the door. He had left behind goodness. He didn't react in the flesh. He didn't get angry. He didn't try to tear down the door. He didn't try to say, this is the way it's going to be and take control of the situation. He humbly left behind goodness and blessing for her. He was that guy. Men, if you're struggling to figure out what that means, we have Monday Night Men tomorrow night. We're talking about, yeah, let's go, let's go. We're talking about what does it mean to be the men that we need in our world. Love to have you join me and our team tomorrow night. So as we bring this to a close, as we think about, okay, what does it mean for me? Here's our next step questions today. Because Jesus wants to renew us. And so it is time. Will you let God awaken you to his desires for your life? 
Will you let him, will you answer the knock today? Will you allow him to awaken you? Secondly, it is time, will you let God work on any conflicts or hurts that you have? Will you allow him to begin to heal and renew those relationships? And third, it is time, will you let a fresh vision of Jesus renew you and all of your relationships today? Church, we're entering into a time of response. We're actually invited today, first Sunday of the month, we take corporate communion. Hopefully you have the elements with you. If you don't, our ushers will come around. If you just get a hand up, they'll bring you the elements. In the body of Christ, communion is a sacrament. It's a holy moment where we recognize what Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. As we do that, it's designed for us to repent of anything we need to repent of, that he could renew us and begin to move us forward. And it's in these moments that life slows down that I believe the Spirit begins to show us it is time, it is time for you to respond to Jesus. For you to respond with obedience to whatever he's showing you. And the beauty of Jesus is he is that guy. He is the son of God. He is the king of kings. He is the creator of our universe. He is not just good, but he is for you. And whatever he's revealing is because he wants to, in the light, heal and fill you. He said, I came to bring life and life abundantly. So church, it is time. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what you came in with. I don't even know if you know Jesus. That's between you and him right now. But the starting point for communion is confession. And if you don't know Jesus, that's your starting point today, is to confess him as your Lord and Savior. And then through the act of communion, we celebrate that at his table, the King of Kings said, there's a seat for you. Come dine with me. Come join me. It is time. It's at that table with Jesus that we come clean, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. So as we receive communion today, if you're online, hopefully you've found some elements. We have a small cracker that symbolizes his body. That his body, as he went to the cross, hung there for six long hours, taking on the weight of the world and all of our sins. And so I'm going to give you two options today. I'm going to lead you through it. But if you're like, I want more time during worship, you can wait and, and take it on your own. But right now, if you're ready to receive this, I just want to pray over this. Father, we recognize your body. We recognize that you came in the flesh, fully God and fully man, that you were holy and sinless, that your death on the cross demonstrated your love for us, and that you are the great healer, restorer. Jesus, we confess we are sinners in need of your forgiveness and mercy and grace. 
So wash over us now. Renew our vision of you. Thank you. You may take this in remembrance of him. The juice symbolizes the atonement, the atoning blood of Jesus. A blood that was, again, fully man, but also fully God. Holy. That his blood washes over us and forgives us of all sins. That he marks us as his children. That he marks us as those to be filled with his spirit. And so as we receive this today, again, we're renewing our vision for Jesus. We're renewing our vision for the life he's given us. That same blood is meant to help cover us as we reconcile relationships, as we live for him in our world. So I'm gonna give you a moment, and then I'll pray, to just examine yourself as 1 Corinthians 11 says. So just kind of a moment of silence, and then if you're ready, you can receive it when I pray. If you're not, you can wait and take it during worship. Bow your head. And Jesus, we are humbled and we just thank you for your blood. That symbolically, it has literally offered us life, new life. And Father, as we receive it now, we pray that you would renew our vision for you and for life with you. Father, I just pray that your spirit would move powerfully, healing, restoring, leading us to be a people who lives differently in every relationship. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us on the cross. You may now take this in remembrance of him. Father, as we proclaim you, I pray that these next few moments will be moments of praise and worship, moments of prayer. We're opening the altars. The kneeling benches are open for prayer. Father, bless us with your presence. It is time. It is time. In Jesus' name. Let's stand. I 
for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of life. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my Glory to 
God is doing something in our midst, church. All glory to his name. It is time. It is time. I believe that that's to carry with us. That there are going to be Holy Spirit-led moments where his word is going to come alive today and throughout the weeks ahead. Where he's going to say, it's time. Here it is. Will you follow me? Will you let go? Will you let me do a new thing? He is on the move, church. I'm excited and humbled to be a part of it. And he gets all the glory. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So Father, we give you the glory. We proclaim your goodness. And Jesus, I do invite you to lead us forward. That your words would come alive in our hearts and minds. That you would find a people that would trust and obey. Thank you for what you're doing. Father, we lift up this week ahead. and We just give it to you. May we not lose our mind in the world or in politics. May we only lose our mind, as Paul said, because we've been compelled by the love of Christ. May we only seem out of our minds because of the great love that you've poured out on us. May we love you and love all people in our pathway this week. May we be the church you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a visitor, it is time. Go out those, well, those doors there and we've got a gift for you. If you need prayer, we'll stay up here and available. If you have kids, it is time. Go get them. Go now and be the church.